Hello, welcome to Ladywood, where two huge fans of Deadwood and one newbie discuss the show through a feminist lens. My name is Sita Shaw. I am a stand-up comic and comedy writer. I'm Lynn Sternberger, a television writer. And I'm Brandy Sperry, also a writer. And it's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Tis. Tis. It's LA Marathon Day. You're giving away all of our secrets. <laughs> um, the true timestamps will be available later. Uh, so today we'll be discussing the penultimate episode of the second season, The Whores Can Come, written by Brian McDonald and directed by Greg Feinberg. So it first aired May 15th of 2005. Telegraph lines to the Yankton heat up as Jerry, Fears, Bullock, and Hearst have each thrown their weight behind Montana as their ruse begins to fall into place. Surajan uses a camp tragedy to delay an altercation between Wu and Lee. Ellsworth and Alma come to an agreement. All right, so just very quick recap. William uh, died. <laughs> William died. Everyone's getting ready for the funeral. That's the tragedy. Yeah, that's that's the tragedy. Like, some of these episode summaries are so, like, you know, mysterious about things that we already know. But I, try, I think they're trying to do it for people who are, like, casually browsing and don't want things spoiled for them. All right. Fair enough. Maybe. Yeah. So not everyone's rooting for William's death the way I was. <laughs> Uh, soon to be new mother, Sita Shaw. Um, <laughs> My instincts are strong. <laughs> the weak must die. Oh, no, but this is probably for me one of the most aggressive opening sequences in all of Deadwood so far. Um, like burning female bodies in the yeah. I'm actually glad that they don't physically show more than they do. Um, you don't really see like a pile of bodies or anything because just the imagining that is yeah. enough. Like I didn't need to see any more than were shown. I didn't need to see yeah. what we were showing in the first place. It, it gave but. me like Holocausty vibes. Yeah, um, uh, the way that they were so casual with just flinging a dead woman around. It's nice to see Wu get so angry about it. He seems mm-hmm. to be the only man in camp who has the right level of anger about the way women are treated. Yeah, because if we think about it, a couple of episodes earlier when all the three other prostitutes were slashed to death, like, the camp didn't really respond. No, was we're all... never going to get any response to that, really. Yeah. I mean, it's done. No, it's ridiculous. And imagine if those had been... Like, women that were under Al's care or Sai's care, like, things would be getting done. But because they were at a, mm-hmm. a place that was owned by a woman, nobody cares. They were just a woman's property. I mean, it doesn't matter. Can you imagine Dan's reaction to three dead gem saloons? The camp would be, like, burned down. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was upset that a guy looked at Flora sideways. <laughs> Well, that was him thinking with his penis. <laughs> I think he true, would still be thinking true. with his knife if something like that happened true, in the gym. True. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a really bad thesis. <laughs> Dan's knife as penis metaphor. Oh, you know, everything's a phallus. <laughs> Um, So the San Francisco cocksucker is overseeing this pile of dead prostitutes. Wu's really upset, and he goes looking for help from Al. And Al doesn't give it to him, at least not initially. Yeah, he lets Wu think that he has absolutely no interest in this when really he's doing his, like, five steps ahead kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. He thinks that a showdown between Wu and Lee needs to be delayed until they can sort of think about what Hearst will think about this situation and how Al can twist it to his own benefit by potentially either losing or winning what, with whatever man he backs to make Hearst think he's less of a threat. Exactly. Um, we haven't met Hearst yet. 
he just doesn't want to make enemies of him before he is even in town. Right. Elsewhere, everybody else is getting ready for this burial. Bullock is building the baby coffin. Well, the oh. kid coffin. Yeah, kid coffin. <laughs> so sad. Um, Al finds him doing that. Martha's cleaning William's body. She has packed, and it looks like she is leaving. Where is she going? We don't know. Where can she go? She seems like the type of character to like have a sister in a place. <laughs> and she'll Should have gone to the sister for us if such a sister exists, but we don't know because we don't know shit about Martha. Other than the fact that she married Seth's brother, who no. kind of seems like a, yeah. a rough and tumble type, I guess. She's upstanding, so we're told. Yeah. I like her. We just don't know any of her backstory. Yeah, and the scenes between her and Seth, I feel like, again, like, Timothy Oliphant and Anna Gunn are, are quite good playing their grief and, and understating it and trying to be these people who are having a stiff upper lip in the face of tragedy. But we don't get a ton of dialogue between the two of them, and I could have used a little bit more. I think that, like, if we want to skip ahead to the very end, that's, like, a really nice moment when Seth comes in and is basically like, let's do whatever mm-hmm. we have to do to survive like this. But I don't. I could have used a little more build-up to that because it literally has been, like, a day, you know? Like, they should still be in, like, the denial, gnashing their teeth kind of mm-hmm. part of the five levels of grief or whatever like it feels like it goes very quickly for me to acceptance i think that the scene that comes later at the funeral helped me with that which is kind of i don't know it felt as a tv writer i would not default to having this my instinct would not have been to indulge in a scene where martha runs out of the funeral into her child's body kind of says nothing over it just mourns and then sort of changes her demeanor and walks mm-hmm. back outside and something has switched because it's not it's not guiding you through what's going on with her mm-hmm. and she's not interacting with other characters so that they understand but for for me it helped she's like a woman of kind of few and pointed words and it was like expunging the loss from her body or something I liked at least being able to see her sort of lose her composure for a minute, for yeah. sure. Totally. Yeah, that was a really raw scene. I thought it was really well done. And I I think maybe part of just her not speaking to it is just who she is. Like, she, I don't know if she could ever explain to Seth, like, exactly how much, like, her son means to her. I mean, it should be implied, but I don't think, like, I, the words are available to her. I feel her. like they're set yeah. up as kind of intuitive characters like Mm -hmm. she understands what's going on between Alma and Seth Mm -hmm. because she's intuitive he understands her heartbreak because that's intuitive they're both kind of like emotionally plugged in and I love that about them Mm -hmm. we should also talk about that in conjunction with how you know in the last episode I was sort of morbidly speculating that this would tear Seth and Martha apart and he would be able to be with Alma Mm -hmm. um, and that maybe she was thinking in that manner it's the exact opposite, of course. Like, Alma sees them at the funeral and the way that they almost are, like, so together in their grief that now they have sort of ironically become a unit in mm-hmm. the way that they never were when William was alive. And it's minutes later when she accepts Ellsworth's proposal. It's it's interesting how <laughs> Deadwood makes the choice that I think would probably not be the fan favorite choice. It feels like, and it Not does, to me! Ellsworth. Ellsworth. Not Alma and Ellsworth, but <laughs> keeping Seth and Alma apart. Right, 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 definitely. Um, I think probably is not how it would have, 
I don't think that's what the people would have demanded mm-hmm. online just because of the way fandom works. Yeah. Right. Um, however, Thank God we didn't have Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did what they wanted. Can you imagine um, the hashtags? <laughs> and it's a more interesting choice. Mm-hmm. For I would it, love I to see David Milch's Twitter account. Oh my god. <laughs> interacting with fans, being like, fuck you, cocksuckers, I do what I want. So, will she leave? Will she go? By the end of the episode, it's decided she will. They will make it work for her here in the town. Yeah, definitely um, implied. We'll see how long that lasts. I mean, she's going to have to find something to do with herself. Other stuff is Moses hanging, clinging on to life. Um, Jane is caring for him, in quotation marks. She's insulting him the entire time she does it, which is very Jane Cannery, take, you know, as a nurse. Yeah. yeah. And they're all still at Joni's. And Jane is, at one point, she's, she takes a bath. That was my note. I was and, like, is this the HBO nudity clause where every every female <laughs> character has to be naked like one time on screen? I'm going to say this one was real interesting because she was filthy. <laughs> like, she was absolutely disgusting. I was very impressed with the makeup team in this moment because I was like, yeah, she has been living basically in the, the road, getting <laughs> beat <it> up, <laughs> getting got her face pressed against like filthy shit. She's mm-hmm. like, in the muck. And she looks it. Right, but then she takes her clothes off and you're reminded, oh yeah, Robin Weiger is a working actress in Hollywood who has who still has a great body. Yeah, she's hot. <laughs> she's hot. Yeah, that's that's what I was reminded of too. And is it her you body or the only... I never thought so. Oh right. Yeah, you're the one who never she's vegan. I didn't I didn't notice that pert ass at all. <laughs> what do you mean the hairs on her arms stood up and I could see the infamous of light through her ass hair? <laughs> that is uh... just the fine baby hairs as they caught the light. Uh, I mean, it's a funny. It's played for laughs because I they have to take the air out of that somehow, and she right. burns, she burns her funk, fucking snatch. I burn my fucking snatch. <laughs> I think she's kind of flirting with Joni a little bit too in that scene. Totally. Well, yeah. earlier. Moe's like flickers his eyes while Joni's over him and mm-hmm. she says something like he'll think he woke up and went to heaven and I'm yeah. like that's a little heavy <laughs> <laughs> like, okay you think Joni's it's beautiful. a cliche <laughs> Jane thinks that's what people say <laughs> but it's definitely flirty yeah. Um, I also just wanted to note I mean while I was for this podcast watching Robin Weigert get naked uh, she has very impressive armpit hair and I yeah, was I like that again appreciative of the realness of that moment if right. not if not the whole nudity thing right but basically Jane's getting a bathe because uh, she's getting ready for the funeral they're all getting ready for the funeral. Yeah, I do have a, a nomination for least feminist moment in the context of people getting ready for the funeral which is the sort of chorus of idiots that they make the whores of the gem out to be here and the way that Trixie is sort of like the only woman who has any sense around this tragedy that's happened I just every scene made me cringe with all of that what do you think they were drawing from like I want to I want to see the primary sources that's like whores were really upset when children died (laughs) They never would have even met this kid, right? Like, yeah. yes, it's sad. It's a sad story to hear. It's the same mm-hmm. way, like, if you read a story on the news, you're like, fuck, that's awful. Yeah, but, like, but nobody like, met him, right? 
he's not like he's hanging out with them wearing dominoes or whatever exactly i was so perplexed by that i was like why all why are all the whores really sad about william i mean i know why i'm not sad about william (laughs) why are the whores i mean the general melancholy makes sense but this like wailing and gnashing of teeth is so weird to me yeah i wonder if it was like performative back in the day where the women were supposed to show their feelings in this way to demonstrate how womanly they were i don't know like is it a real thing i'm doubtful and they do come off looking completely stupid yeah i think in comparison to the way that like johnny and dan are acting where they're sort of agitated and exchanging Mm -hmm. different superstitions about what you should do around a funeral like that feels like so much more character driven and real to me and it's like maybe it's because they have names yeah maybe we've met them previously and we could have at least had, you know, Jen is the one one of them whose name we know. Like, something with her. I like, a know. few being sad, I get. Not all of them want and to Doll, go. And Dolly. We know Dolly well enough. Yeah. It would be great to give Dolly a little thing to do that wasn't sucking Al's dick. Yeah, yeah, I actually think she had, like, a nice moment where she tries to describe the funeral as being beautiful, too. And I would have liked to see that not while she's on her knees sucking cocks. Yes, yeah. 100%. They need, they need to give the prostitutes scenes that aren't them getting character stuff while providing fellatio. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I I want to take bets on sex in the movie. Mm. Will there be any sex? Because... They're way older. Yeah. It's no longer <laughs> titillating. Everyone knows old people don't have sex. <laughs> there was only one show on HBO where old people had sex. It was called Tell Me You Love Me. <laughs> we should have a side conversation about that show at some point because it is fascinating. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't get the sense that sexy time is going to be a priority for the story here. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, maybe not a priority, but I like it. Oh, I like a little sex thrown in. Sure. I really liked, I think my favorite moment in this is Alma reaching out to so- so- Sophia because Sophia's really sad. Sophia's a grief about William, I understand. That is another kid. You see another kid get mowed down mm-hmm. in the thoroughfare. They, they share candy. They share candy, so she feels the mortality. And Sophia uh, and Alma actually reaching out and being really maternal in that moment and trying to share in her ward's grief was really, it was like a big moment of growth for Alma. It's It's very motherly. Yeah. I bought it. I bought it. I bought it. Totally. It's Uh, a lovely little speech and Molly Parker is really good in that scene. She, I like to say, was doing solitary tear acting. (laughs) No. Yes, yes. (laughs) The control it takes to just get the one. That's a practice actress. Mm -hmm. We skipped over a little thing that I thought was amazing, which was an earlier scene between Trixie and Alma. I mean, anytime we get two of our ladies Mm -hmm. together, it's good. It's for sure they were fighting before Mm -hmm. because of her reticence to provide an answer about Ellsworth. In this one, the pressure seems to be off a little bit. Um, Trixie just sniffs her glass to make sure she's not dosing herself with laudanum, but does it like right in front of her. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which I was like, this is is their relationship. So I think that, I don't know, Sophia and Alma are firmly in Mm -hmm. Trixie's family, found family. Um, Also back in town, Andy... Crane. The worst name ever. So I thought that he was a reluctant friend of the Bella Union or of Cy Tolliver, like they had crossed paths. And then when Andy got sick... Yeah, he well, threw him in the woods He to threw die. him in the woods to die. And so I was so like, why is Cy Tolliver being such an ass? I mean, he is an ass. That I get. 
But he's immediately hostile to Andy. I right think Cy really hates religion. Like he always makes cracks when people have a Bible open. He has no concept of the fact that Andy actually could have like reformed and actually be sincere in this. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he really thinks it must be him running a game. You don't think it also just makes him look bad that he threw a friend <laughs> into the woods to oh, die? Totally. <laughs> but I, I guess he's not the kind of like person who would really be analyzing how he's coming across to people. No. He doesn't care that he's kind of a monster, it seems. Yeah, I guess I thought he would be uh, a little bit more, like, not even genteel, but, like, a little bit more two-faced about, like, Andy. You know, because Andy's just, like, a preacher in town, so uh, like, a man with a little bit of authority. I thought Cy would just be, like... Well, when we first see him survive Mm -hmm. the plague or whatever, Cy is kind of, like, putting uh, on a false spin. Like, it's amazing that you've lived, right, you know, right. and, and good on you, Andy. And, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a little bit like, I wish you had fucking died in the woods. Yeah, um, that, that I think maybe that's the thing that confused me. Hmm. Well, he gives such a great service that he sends Martha screaming away from it. <laughs> he's, so, he's, maybe, maybe it's his first time giving He's not as good as the Reverend. Yeah. No. No. I, miss, I miss our friend. One thing I did want to say about Sai is that, well, I think the writing in this confrontation was good. Um, he threatens to crucify Andy. So, like, working on those religious mm-hmm, themes, mm-hmm. it was an appropriate, I don't know, appropriate. It it was a interesting rant. And um, it did make me just want him to rot in hell even more. Now, the last thing that's going down in this episode we haven't really talked about is, of course, Commissioner Jari running around... Forcing Sai to cash a $50,000 check in order to pay the bribe to Al, which is just petty. <laughs> like, really just petty. And having the gall to go up to Seth and say, oh, are you really talking with Al? Are you really on his side? And just uh, Stephen Tobolowsky's general performance here is so funny to me. Yeah, he doesn't really care that the kid is dead. No. <laughs> Not in the <laughs> uh, He's like, I got official business to handle here. He's like, oh, what a tragedy. And where's his house? <laughs> Which is especially funny contrasted with Al, who does care, but is trying at times to either pretend he doesn't or enhance how much he does, yeah. depending on what works well. I laughed out loud when you referred to William as his godson. I like, that was such a funny I thought that was so funny, too. I love that. I was like, oh, way to use that card. <laughs> Doesn't even make any sense. He's only been in camp for, like, six weeks or something. On, on the topic of Stephen Tobolowski, if you have not watched One Day at a Time, it just got canceled by oh, Netflix after oh, three yeah. seasons. He's fantastic on it. Everybody's fantastic on it. It is a it is a multi-camera show that has so much heart. It's in like the Norman Lear camp of multicams. I love it and I don't like any comedy. I'm a total Scrooge. Please go find it and watch it. They're going to try and find a new home for it. Keep watching. Yeah, yeah keep watching. Um, all hope is not lost yet. But I Stephen Tobolowski is in it. So if you enjoy his performance here, you should enjoy it on One Day at a Time. He also had a kind of uh, I, I think it's over now. He had his own podcast. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. The, to- was the Tobolowski Files, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just him wa- waxing on about life. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> He's funny. Okay, so Al arranges to have Wu brought to the gem because he's stirring for a fight with Lee. Yeah. We see 
Johnny and Dan, and I think there was somebody else, maybe, like, just pick Wu up because he refuses to come. And yeah. they abscond with him. And that's yeah. Adams. You blocked Adams out oh of Oh, my God. <laughs> it's working. Uh, so they pick him up, literally carry him into the gem, and that's where we leave that storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just getting Wu off the street, basically. Other things happen at the end of this episode. I mean, the long-simmering proposal Mm-hmm. We finally get our answer. Yeah. yeah, let's go back to that moment because it is very sweet, even if you know that it's not like a romantic love that Alma feels for Ellsworth. He's carrying Sophia up the steps. Mm-hmm. He gently corrects her grammar. <laughs> like, it's just like a very fatherly moment yeah. that makes her say, like, yes, I I see us as a family, basically, is what I... think it's paternal love, and that's interesting, because we know what a terrible father Alma does have. Right. And now she's marrying the antithesis of that Mm -hmm. guy. I did shed a solitary tear. (laughs) All of Martha Polly Parker. I love impromptu proposal acceptances. I I, I gotta think about how, like, as her affair with Seth was progressing, like, that affair is so much about her, and is not so much about like her forming a unit. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that the affair with Seth was just like hot sex everywhere in that hotel room. That's Very what, little. That's to what do. Randy wants to <laughs> the plaster <laughs> coming down. <laughs> the plaster coming down. Very little to do with <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> and with Ellsworth, that relationship is really bigger than just the two of them. That's a great point, Tina. Yeah. She seems quite changed at yeah. this point. I mean, I feel like all of the female characters. Maybe Jane to a lesser degree, but, like, they've all gotten kind of significant character arcs mm-hmm. uh, through the, these two seasons, which maybe is why I love this damn show, despite the fact that we spend a lot more time with the guys and their issues. Yeah. I also like the way that you can contrast Alma's arc and Trixie's arc, whereas Alma's is kind of like, you need to learn to think about people other than yourself. Trixie's mm-hmm. is kind of the opposite. You need to learn to value yourself and mm-hmm. act for yourself. So, I just like those together. Well said. Mm -hmm. Do we have nominations for Most Feminist Moment? I don't know. I mean, I already said my least. I don't know about most. Oh, my least was the backstory blowjob. Did we talk about that? Yeah, I thought that was the least one, too. I was like, another Game of Thrones scene where somebody's getting a blowjob and also monologuing. (laughs) I will say... They did it first. Like, that, that's true. They did do do it first. Um, and I think Al maybe became like the, their HBO's idea of like, oh, sex position. This works. <laughs> I actually um, wrote down before Game of Thrones sex position orgies could run, Al Sturgeon had his blowjob monologues to walk. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. sad. <laughs> He's recounting his dad's abuse. He's recounting oh, right. his, his brother's death. Apparently yeah. not his real dad either. Like, apparently the man he's previously referred to as his brother was a, an adopted brother, mm-hmm. perhaps not officially adopted, or Al was the one who was adopted or into a family. So I little, mean, little seeds of that backstory still coming out. It's yeah. amazing how much information we now have about Al's backstory. It would be great if Alma, like, gave us some of hers while getting head. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing I wanted to mention was that I think... Of all the men in Deadwood, Ellsworth is the most likely one to give a woman head. Oh. I just think. A hundred percent. right? She's, no, wait, Seth. Seth. No, I'm sure Seth. I don't think Seth. Seth. I really don't think Seth. I think Seth. Maybe Saul would. I, oh, I think Seth likes to eat pussy. <laughs> what is our podcast? It's off the rails. <laughs> 
we have the male feminist For most rankings. likely, the yeah. least likely, yeah. I think. Is that Ellsworth is up there? Is that what the best male feminist in Deadwood thing was all along? The most likely to eat pussy. Yeah. Go down on a woman. See, it's like, I knew that. Like a man. It's all related. conversation. Wow. I mean, I feel like there are several nominations. I think most of them could be convinced to do so. Sure. Sure, sure. I don't think Al does. No, no, no. Al, Al would never. No. no. Why pleasure a woman? <laughs> What's the point of that? How would I monologue? Okay, one thing we didn't really talk too much about was the whole race relationship thing playing out between Wu and Lee, also known as San Francisco cocksucker. Yeah. Seems like Wu cares a lot more about his people than Lee does. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, yeah. Lee is, like, Americanized, right? Yeah. Like, the way that he dresses... His facial hair, mm-hmm. the fact that his hair is cut sh- short. I think it's short. Yeah, like, shorter. He's short hair, but, he's, but his clothing is uh, still like the the Chinese clothes. Yeah, um, I don't know. They seem more tailored or something. But but Lee is definitely way more of like a taskmaster for Hearst than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I think is part of the deal with burning the bodies. Is it's about also supplying more to the miners that because they're going to replace all like the white miners with Chinese miners. That's like the big Hearst plan, right? Yeah, I guess that's the idea: cheaper labor, cheaper labor. It doesn't require like things that a union would ask Mm -hmm. for, basically. Yeah, it just. I guess I'm so confused by why Lee decided that burning all of the horse bodies in public was a good idea at all even on some level of basic like i mean i guess he doesn't believe in pr relationships well, or what means that either he refused to go to woo to ask to throw him to the pigs or woo said no right you think there was like a conversation broached with woo beforehand i mean maybe i no, mean i don't th- well i don't I don't think so, but I think... Or is it just easier and quicker yeah. than burying them? Oh, there's no way they're burying them. Like, too much effort. Hmm. Well, I guess it, it just doesn't make sense to me because, uh, yeah, I understand that, like, chattel slavery existed back then, but, like, it's 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 also just, like, a bunch of women that look like you and your mom and you're just like burning them out in public how do you think that's going to play with the rest of the people that you're working with you know it's just like it's not like a situation like Auschwitz you know where there's a there's an occupying army and like they're trying to get away with this even then the bodies were hidden you know you mean just like as a power move as a power move yeah yeah although Wu is legitimately the only person in the Alley who seems to take a terrible offense. Like everybody else is just kind of looking But on. they are still planning to continue selling Chinese prostitute services to white men. And this seems like a pretty gross thing to do if you're planning on bringing Like if you or any women. of your clientele were there, it would be like, oh my God, what the fuck? Right? Yeah, I guess. It would have been nice to hear a little bit more of the, like, general reaction to, to that. Yeah, it, it, I, I, it, to me, it didn't totally ring true that he was doing this. Because it's uh, a bad business move. It's, it's a terrible business move. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it in that context. Yeah. But I mean, it, I think maybe the answer is as simple as... It's shock value on a TV show. Yeah. I, I think I know that's unforgivable. What, yep. Yeah. And that's how I felt about it. When I saw the scene, I was like, oh. And God. we want Wu to be heroic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it and he is in tremendous juxtaposition to Lee yeah. in this 
Yes, exactly. And then we feel like Lee has to die because he did this. Because up until this point, Lee has been a formidable business person, but not necessarily an evil business person, right? Yeah, you're right. It tips him into evil. Yeah. We, we will see what's next. The Really, the only question hanging in the air is the annexation of the town. Well, and uh, Hearst's arrival. Which they're not... I mean, they're talking around. He joins us within the week, Walcott says. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first is on. First is coming! <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Ladywood. We will be back next week. You can find us on Twitter at LadywoodCast. Uh, I'm at Lynn Sternberger. I'm at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. And I'm at Wee Brandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. Thank you for listening. 